What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 20 of Courtside Views. I'm your host, Andrew Bostic. We're at the point of the year. Officially, the trade deadline's over. There's been a lot of speculation, a lot of stuff going down, but really all the NBA and anybody can talk about is what's going down with the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. That is the hot topic. That's what's trending. That's all anybody really cares about. While the Phoenix Suns are the best team in the NBA, there's plenty of drama going down in the Western Conference as well as a absolutely loaded Eastern Conference. All we're going to talk about today is best case and worst case scenarios for the Philadelphia 76ers and their new acquisition of James Harden, as well as the Brooklyn Nets best and worst case scenario with their new acquisition of Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond. Let's get right into it. The trade is finally done. Ben Simmons is out of town. He's taken himself all the way to Brooklyn to be the new Ben 10. And James Harden is in the city of brotherly love, sitting happy with Joel Embiid as his running mate. This has been almost a two-year process and all this speculation pretty much since Daryl Morey made his way to Philadelphia, where the Houston Rockets spited him and said, we are not giving you James Harden, and they traded into Brooklyn. Now, everything comes full circle. James Harden's in Philly, and let's get into that. We're going to talk about Philadelphia's best case and worst case scenarios, but we got to start off with the good before we tamper expectations. Philadelphia 76ers are currently sitting in the fourth seed with Joel Embiid and Tyrese Maxey pretty much leading the helm with Tobias Harris playing the number three role. They're doing all of this without arguably their second best player, Ben Simmons, pretty much sitting out the entire season, being no part of the team, talking to nobody, and completely distancing himself. Now that they've removed him, and they brought in a player named James Harden, a former MVP, a first-team All-NBA five-time, a guy who has essentially changed the game to where they changed the rules with how fouls are being called, he's the kind of impact player that Philadelphia just physically has not seen from the guard position since Allen Iverson. And even Allen Iverson was not the shooter that James Harden is or the ability to create that kind of separation with a step back. And now that's just going to open up so many doors for this offense. And I really kind of want to get into what it goes from a ball handling perspective. Because while Tyrese Maxey, I think, has done a very admirable, admirable job from a point guard perspective, he has almost a 3-to-1 turnover to assist ratio, which is fantastic. He is just not James Harden. Not many players are. James Harden plays a very high-risk, high-reward game. You see it from his high turnovers, but you see it from a massive high assist ratio. He is going to have the space that he's never seen before. He's played with the likes of Dwight Howard, an all-pro center. Fantastic. Dwight Howard is not Joel Embiid on the offensive end. Not many players in the NBA, in NBA history, have the talent and the capability of what Joel Embiid is able to do. He is the current leading front runner for MVP, and in my opinion, it's not even close. You look at what Ben has been able to do with the surrounding cast and pure two-way impact that he has in this game. When he is fully healthy, there's not a single player better in this league than Joel Embiid. Not LeBron James, not Giannis Antetokounmpo, not Kevin Durant. Joel Embiid is the best player in the NBA when fully healthy, and I don't even think it's up for debate. Now you bring in James Harden. James Harden's strength is clearly on offense. What he's able to do with the ball is almost magical sometimes. And now when you take away all, somebody call him a free throw merchant, that's in the past. They have completely changed the rules because of James Harden. And yes, he's having a little bit of a down year, but the impact is still there. It's just pure from an offense perspective. And what he's able to do, you're going to give... Joel Embiid, an offensive running mate that he has never even remotely come close to. He is going to run circles with this offense from an inside-outside game. I think their best lineup, realistically, you're going to pair him with Tyrese Maxey in the backcourt. You still have Matisse Thybulle, so from a defense perspective, it really balances out this lineup and Tobias Harris at the four spot. 
with Joel Embiid obviously finishing out at center. From a pure talent perspective, on paper, you are going to be hard-pressed to find a better starting five in the NBA than those five right there. You have a mix of youth with Matisse Thibel and Tyrese Maxey. You have an MVP in James Harden, a future MVP in Joel Embiid, and yes, a very overpaid role player. But Tobias Harris is your realistically fourth option on an offense. Pretty damn good. If Matisse Thibel can hit threes, now we're talking strictly best case scenario right here. If Matisse Thibel is hitting threes at like a 33% clip, just to keep defenses honest, he's going to be getting more wide open looks than he will ever have seen in his entire life. You still have Danny Green. You still have Furkan Korkmaz. You still have Shake Milton. You have Georges Niang. Their bench, while it has been thinned out by getting rid of Seth Curry and guys like Andre Jummond, they have shooters in this lineup. And what they're able to do, it's going to be just so damn impressive to watch. And I'm going to be honest, they are just, there's so much firepower here. There's so much opportunity for James Harden to just go to work. Dwight Howard, like I said, when he was playing in Houston, he's not an offensive threat like that. They were running a four out, one in when he was in Orlando. That's not how it was in Houston. Now you're saying James Harden is going to run a pick and roll with the most dominant big men of the past 10 to 15 years, Shaquille O'Neal. Who's guarding that? You think of the best defensive teams. I'd immediately think probably the Milwaukee Bucks. There's not, not even Drew Holiday, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Brooke Lopez, Serge Ibaka. No matter who you throw at them, they're not stopping them. Nobody is. Nobody's able to put a hand on these two in an offensive game. If the fit works, if James Harden is fully bought into this offense, if he is fully bought in to Doc Rivers' coaching, because he's going to say all the right things, he's going to try and do all the right things from an offensive end, there's not a single team on this planet that can stop this starting five. It's damn near impossible from everything they're doing. And in playoffs, the offense gets shorter. James Harden needs to step his game up in the playoffs. He hasn't been able to do that. He's had some very down years in the past four or five years, and last year he was hurt, so we're going to give him a pass. If he can step up in the playoffs and be regular season James Harden, damn, there's just not a lot of things that you can do. James Harden is a walking triple-double. Joel Embiid is a 29, 11, and 5 player. Tyrese Maxey is 17 and 5. Tobias is getting you 18. Whatever Matisse Thibault is bonus. And Danny Green off the bench. That's impressive. Now, I think that you pair them up against the Milwaukee Bucks. You pair them up against the Miami Heat. You pair them up against a fully healthy Brooklyn Nets team. If they're playing at their best, they're championship contenders. And that's on paper. That is purely best case scenario. Worst case scenario, we have to talk about the other end of the floor. Offense can only bring you so far. You saw what the Brooklyn Nets last year were able to do when those three, from an offense perspective, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant, were able to do, they were historic. They had a, a historic offensive efficiency. The number one offensive efficiency in NBA history when those three played together in a game. They were 16-3, and three, and they had the highest offensive efficiency. It's incredible. But that was just on paper. There's just so much more that goes into a basketball game than just on paper. And we saw it in Brooklyn last year. And we saw it in Brooklyn this year. Chemistry means everything. People have to buy into their roles. 
And James Harden, unfortunately, has not been a player that has bought into these kind of roles. I'm going to kind of walk everything back a little bit. When he was in Oklahoma City, he was a glorified sixth man. He was incredible. He was sixth man of the year. He wanted a bigger role. And they were willing to give him a starter role, but they said he was going to be the number three option behind Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. This is a team that just went to the NBA Finals and lost to the Miami Heat. The future was so bright in Oklahoma City, but James Harden wanted more. He wanted to be better than the number three option on a young and up-and-coming team with Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. So he asked out. Okay. You know, we're going to give him a pass there. We're going to say, okay, that's fine. You want your own team? Sounds great. You're trading to Houston. He pairs up with Mike D'Antoni, and they build this entire, you know, modern analytical offense purely around James Harden and Iso Ball. They made James Harden the point guard. They put the ball in his hands and said, go nuts. They said, free throws, layups, or threes. That's it. And across seven to eight years, that's what they did. Year in and year out, they ran four wide, a center in the middle like Dwight Howard or Clint Capella. They had shooters like Eric Gordon. They brought in Hall of Famers like Chris Paul and Russell Westbrook. And they all watched James Harden dribble on offense, average incredible stats, and not show up in the playoffs. Then he forced his way out when they were ready for a rebuild. Unfortunately, it didn't work. Antonio was out of town. They bring in Steven Silas, and he's just not there for it. Shows about a shape, forces himself out. Then he gets himself to Brooklyn with, you know, the pairing of Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. And realistically, he has now put himself in the same situation that he was in in Oklahoma City. He's the third man on the totem pole. Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving chose to play together. James Harden was a bonus. In James Harden's mind, he is not a bonus. He is the guy. He is the guy. He is the creme de la creme. He is one of the best players of all time, and he deserves to be treated as such. And last year, with Kyrie out in the playoffs, he was able to be the number two. That made him feel good. It made him feel like he belonged. You know, it's Kevin Durant. It's very hard to be mad about Kevin Durant taking over and what he was able to do in the playoffs. Now, we're in the next year. We're in this current NBA season. All the vaccine mandates. Kyrie sits out. Doesn't want to be a part of the team. Doesn't want to get vaccinated. That's fine. His own personal choice. James Harden, new offensive rules. They changed the rules. Everything going down. Kyrie's here. Kyrie's not here. Kyrie's a part-time player. Kevin Durant's hurt. In and out of the lineup. James Harden has all this pressure on him to perform, and he's just not performing. He's having his worst shooting percentages that he's had in his entire career since his rookie year, fresh out of Arizona State. That's how poor of a year he's having, but because he's averaging 22, 8, and 10, no one blinks an eye. But that's not good enough. James Harden doesn't like that Kyrie Irving is a part-time player. James Harden doesn't like that he isn't the guy in the offense. So what does he do? Forces out again. Says, get me out of town. Get me to Philly. I wanted to go to Philly the whole time. Get me out. So now James Harden has forced himself out of not one, not two, but three NBA teams. On paper, he will go down as arguably... A top five shooting guard of all time. He's incredible. He's an all-time great. But he's not a winner. He does not care about winning. His ego matters more to him. I respect James Harden as a basketball player. I think he's absolutely incredible. And I think he is so, so goddamn talented. But when you don't perform in the playoffs for four straight years, and you moan and force yourself out for in back-to-back years, 
off of championship contenders, and now all of a sudden Philly's supposed to be different? Philly's the place he wanted to go all along. Everything's all hunky-dory. Well, what happens when it's not? What happens if they don't perform in the playoffs and they get bounced in the second round? What happens if Joel Embiid doesn't like playing with the ball-pounding James Harden and the ISO ball versus a free-motion-flowing offense, which let Joel have an offensive usage of over 30%? What if that drops? And what if they don't win? What if Tyrese Maxey's development stalls? What if Tobias Harris just can't handle his role? What if Matisse Thibault, you know, isn't able to be the shooter that we expect him to be? And this team flops in the first or the second round. The Eastern Conference is absolutely loaded. You have teams like Milwaukee. You have teams like Miami. A young team like Cleveland. Boston is surging. I'm not saying that on paper, these teams are better. But it means a lot more than just being on paper. Chemistry matters. Defense matters. You have two players in this starting line of the play defense. Matisse Thibel and Joel Embiid. James Harden is one of the worst guards in the NBA on defense. Tyrese Maxey has been getting cooked all season on the defensive end. And Tobias Harris is a mediocre defender at best. So you have three of your five starters unable to play defense. On the bench, Shake Milton, poor defender. Korkmaz, poor defender. Danny Green, four years out of his prime. Average defender. Niang, good defender. So you have three capable defenders on your roster, and you're going to hope to maybe increase your defense on the buyout market? The Philadelphia 76ers, on paper, are fantastic. Two potential MVPs with James Harden and Joel Embiid. Young, up-and-coming Tyrese Maxey. Tobias Harris in the number four role, and an all-NBA defender in Matisse Thibel. But it means a lot more than just being good on paper. And you saw what happened with the Brooklyn Nets. Chemistry can crumble your team. You saw what happened last year and this year with the Sixers. Chemistry can crumble your team with Ben Simmons. Getting these two out and getting them in new situations was best-case scenario. I understand that. You have to make that trade, and you have to do what's best. But... I don't necessarily know if James Harden is going to be fully bought in because unfortunately he hasn't been fully bought in ever unless the team is only about him. He loved his time in Houston because he was the guy. No matter who was on that team, Dwight Howard, Russell Westbrook, Chris Paul, all these Hall of Famers, it was his team. It was his system and he could do anything he wanted. MVPs, five-time first-team All-Pro, he could do anything. But now he's not that guy anymore. You saw with Kevin Durant where he was the guy. You now see it with Joel Abid, and it's going to take a lot more than just running a couple nice pick and rolls and putting up some good stat lines. The playoffs are what's going to matter for this team and for James Harden. And until he proves that he can get over that hump and get to an NBA Finals as a main cog or the guy, in his opinion, I think this is a lot sooner to be a worst-case scenario for the Philadelphia 76ers than a best-case scenario for the Philadelphia 76ers. The Brooklyn Nets have been the center of, unfortunately, a lot of NBA drama this season. And that has led them to an absolute spiral as of recently. They're currently sitting at 30-27 and and went on a very poor 11-game win streak. Now, injuries are a major factor in that. Kevin Durant has been out. James Harden was missing with a left hamstring injury until he was recently traded. Kyrie Irving is only allowed to play in away games. It leads to a lot of issues internally. And that is why we saw... The James Harden for Ben Simmons trade. And now, finally getting James Harden out with that very toxic environment that was created. You heard a lot of speculation that James Harden didn't like being the third fiddle. He didn't like that Kyrie Irving and and, uh, Kevin Durant were so buddy-buddy. That they were, you know, the one and two. While they were healthy, 
James Harden was able to be the de facto point guard and run the team. He didn't like that there wasn't a full winning culture. He wasn't really understanding what was going on. He didn't like the Steve Nash coaching style of how he wasn't really good in decisions because he was a rookie coach, wasn't able to make adjustments, yada, yada, yada. And now here we are. James Harden's in Philly, and in comes Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks. Changes are here. This team is only focused on the playoffs. From a best-case scenario, from an NBA fit, this is incredible. Obviously, there was so much success on paper, as well as on the court, from Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. They were 16-3, incredible offensive efficiency, historical, which we've already talked about. But what about the defensive end? Well, they were one of the worst defensive teams in the NBA when these three played together because they're pairing them with players like Blake Griffin, James Johnson, LaMarcus Aldridge. And they're just not good defenders in any way, shape, and form. They're playing Bruce Brown, a six foot four athletic guard, at the small ball center position. That's not going to win you basketball games. And while Kevin Durant did everything he could to will this team to the NBA Finals last year, he was just a big toe short. Now, from an NBA fit perspective, when this team is fully healthy and they're ready to go, even if Kyrie Irving is only allowed to play road games, this team is terrifying. Pairing Ben Simmons and Kevin Durant together, Ben Simmons has his flaws. It is evident. All the mental health stuff and everything out of Philly, we're talking about by getting him out of Philly, we're assuming... We're going to get the best of Ben Simmons. Now, we're not saying Ben Simmons is going to magically start pulling up from three or that Ben Simmons is going to start averaging 25. We're talking about just the athletic, cutting, great transition, decent half-court player, Ben Simmons. The all-pro, should-have-been defensive player of the year last year, Ben Simmons. That's what you're expecting. Pairing that, almost a Draymond Green type with Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving, that's insane. The amount of flexibility in that this team has now on the defensive end is fantastic. Now you incorporate potentially a Joe Harris back into the mix later on in the season. He's been out for a very long time with an ankle injury. He has mulled over another surgery that would potentially knock him out for the season. But if he rehabs that and ends up getting, getting here sometime later in the season and works himself in, now you're looking at a starting lineup of when healthy. Kyrie Irving, Joe Harris, Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant, and depending on matchups, you have a player like Andre Drummond if they're playing a team like the Philadelphia 76ers with a very large big man, or if they're going small ball, you can play Ben at the center and bring in another shooter like Seth Curry. The options you have now that you have that depth, and you also have Patty Mills, who, by the way, is absolutely incredible this year and has been a phenomenal signing. So you can throw in Patty Mills or Seth Curry in that lineup. Or if Joe Harris, Joe Harris doesn't come back healthy, you can incorporate Patty Mills and Seth Curry just because of that defensive availability and that incredible reading of the game that Ben Simmons allows you to have. Ben has his flaws. He's not going to shoot the ball. But he can guard one through five, no questions asked, just like Draymond Green. Kevin Durant at the four, Kyrie at the one, and you incorporate any form of shooter like Patty Mills or Seth Curry, and you have yourself a potential NBA champion. That's how good this team can be. Look at last year. Look at what Kevin Durant was able to do with this team. With nothing. No Kyrie Irving out for the year. A hampered James Harden. And Kevin Durant took this team within 
inches of the NBA Finals with the eventual NBA champions. That's the level that Kevin Durant is at. Now, he's not necessarily the full two-way impact that Joel Embiid is currently playing at. But on the offensive end, I would argue he's the best offensive player in the NBA because of how he can score from all three levels. And he's just physically unguardable. He's essentially a seven-foot wing player, which is just insane. That's what Kevin Durant brings you. And having that and now pairing him with an all-NBA Defensive Player of the Year candidate in Ben Simmons, that's a perfect on-court fit. Not just on paper, on court. Where then when they play together, it's going to be music. Because that lets Ben step into a role that he has never had to play before. In Philly, he had to be the number two option. Now for the Nets, he drops down to number three. The stress is down. He doesn't have to score 20-25 a game. That's why you got Kyrie. That's why you have Kevin Durant. You have shooters out there that are going to spread the floor. If Ben Simmons can get a stat line of 14, 8, and 8, while playing lockdown defense and getting around a steal and a block a game, perfect. Absolutely perfect stat line. And locking down the NBA on the wing for anybody in front of him. That's what Ben Simmons brings to this team. Now, that's all perfect. That's best case scenario. Because if that's happening, this team's an NBA champion. But there's a lot more to everything than just being best case scenario. In a worst case scenario... You have the obvious current Kyrie Irving situation. Heading into the latter half of the season, Kyrie is only able to play in 10 of the last 29 games because of the vaccine mandate. And unless New York changes anything, which they don't plan on changing anything anytime soon, Kyrie is going to miss a lot of time in the playoffs. When you're missing your number two star, it's it's just tough. It's tough to put yourself in that scenario. There's rumors that he's frustrated. There's rumors that, oh, he's, he hates that he can't play, but he wants to make a stand. And I get that. That's fine. That's his personal choice. He's allowed to make that. But we're talking about basketball. We're talking about on the court. And Kyrie's not there more than half the time. Now, getting a lower seed could technically benefit them. Because in a seven-game series, if they're a six, seven, or eight seed, which they're currently an eight seed right now, if they land one of those, Kyrie can play in four of those seven games but he's still missing those three. Then, unfortunately, that moves Ben into that number two role. That's what hampered him in Philly. That's what snuck up on him in Philly, was those higher expectations. He couldn't handle it. He couldn't handle the scoring load. On this team, you can't expect Patty Mills, Seth Curry, and Andre Drummond, or a hampered Joe Harris, to go out there and get you 20 a game. It's going to take... Ben Simmons to step up and be that guy. He has proven time and time and time again, especially in the playoffs. He's just not that guy. So for the Brooklyn Nets, with Kyrie only having part-time availability. Now I know with Ben, it's a long-term game. But we're talking right now in this scenario. It's going to be damn near impossible unless they're winning in the playoffs. Every single game Kyrie plays in with a fully healthy Kevin Durant and a fully healthy Ben Simmons, if they don't win every single game, I don't see how this team can be an NBA champion. I just don't. Because that is putting a lot, 
of emphasis on Ben Simmons. We know what Kevin Durant's going to do. Kevin Durant has proven it time and time and time again in the playoffs at the highest pressure in Golden State when he was playing against LeBron James. He did it back in OKC when he was playing against LeBron James as a young 23-year-old putting up buckets in the NBA Finals. He can do anything at any stage. That's how Kevin Durant's built. Ben Simmons ain't built like that. Ben Simmons is built to get you 14, 15 a game. Most of those in transition are off putbacks, which is fine. But if Kyrie's not playing in these games, what do you expect? How do you expect this team to put together enough pressure to beat a team like the Miami Heat, who's going to come at you for 48 minutes, rocking 10 deep, and they got four or five players that can give you buckets? The Milwaukee Bucks got three or four players that can give you buckets. This young Cleveland team has a lot of defense and three or four players that can go out there and give you buckets. The Nets have Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and a bunch of role players that can shoot. If Kyrie and Kevin Durant are not fully healthy playing, I don't see how this team can be an NBA champion. Long term, when the mandates are over and Kyrie's playing full time, this team is scary. But being realistic, we have to take that step back. We have to work with what we have. I want to see Ben Simmons succeed. I want to see James Harden succeed. But the reality is... They have been labeled damaged goods by their old teams. Philly's going to boo Ben Simmons, and Brooklyn's going to boo James Harden. It's up to them to break that stigma. And the only way they do that is in the playoffs, by either beating each other in a playoff series or getting their team to the NBA Finals. That is the only way that you can break it. They both have a lot to go through. If I'm putting my money down, if I, it's this year, I really do think that the Philadelphia 76ers will go farther than the Brooklyn Nets just because of all the variables. If the mandate gets removed before the playoffs and Kyrie's able to play full-time, then I'm going with the Nets. But in current day, I have to go with the Philadelphia 76ers just because they have more available talent ready to go. But I will pay an exuberant amount of money to see a playoff series of the Brooklyn Nets versus the Philadelphia 76ers because that is going to be fucking amazing television. It's going to be incredible to watch. I want the pettiness. I want it all. I want everything because that is going to be just all, just across the board, everything that you want as a basketball fan. Stars, drama, and just great fucking basketball. Brooklyn Nets have a lot to go through from a best case to a worst case scenario. But they have to figure out what they have in current current day before they expect to be an NBA champion. This Eastern Conference is absolutely stacked. When you have a team like the Brooklyn Nets currently sitting in the 8th seed, that's going to lead for a lot of fun and some interesting matchups later on in the NBA season. When it comes to playoff seeds, being able to see a stacked-out Chicago Bulls team play a team like the Brooklyn Nets in the first round, that is must-see television. The play-in tournament's going to be great. The matchups are going to be great, and I'm super excited to see how everything turns out. We've got a long way to go. Be on the lookout later. We're going to be doing a All-Star break edition of the Halfway Point. We're going to be doing mid-season awards. Super excited about that. Be on the lookout online, Instagram, and social media. That wraps it up for today. Thank you for coming to episode 20. Courtside Views.